0: How's it going, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast. If you remember on a previous episode of the show, I was breaking down every single horror film that I saw in 2021, and it was so many films that it just couldn't possibly fit into one episode. So here I am with part two of every single horror film that I saw in 2021. At the time of recording this intro, I'm not sure if this is going to be the final part for October or if there's going to be a part three in October. It just depends on how the episode goes. But regardless, we're going to be still plowing through all of these films that I saw. But before we go ahead and get started, if you guys are watching over on YouTube, make sure that you subscribe to my channel and turn on notifications. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to the show, make sure you subscribe and leave a rating and a review if it lets you do so and of course i want to help get the word out about the house of horror so if you have any family members friends who you think would be interested in the show make sure you point them in my direction and now without further ado let's get spooky All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, we are rolling sound here on part two of every single horror film that I saw in 2021. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if this is going to be the second and final part for October or if we're going to have to do a part three. Um, It just depends on how long it takes to get through all of these films. I want to try to keep each episode like an hour long, maybe a little bit longer than an hour, but definitely for these solo shows, I do not want to go longer than an hour and a half. I want to keep it in like the hour, maybe hour 10 mark. Um, so it just depends. There might be another episode coming your way this October, um, but if not, we're definitely going to be doing one at the end of December, maybe the beginning of January, just sort of rounding out the rest of the year, of course, because after October, I'm still watching horror films in November and in December, of course. It's every day is Halloween in my crypt at the House of Horror, 316 Dead End Drive, Send me your fan mail, just kidding, um, but anyway, it is another lovely day. Um, I just had my coffee. Uh, my wife actually got me these little um these syrups um to put in your coffee it 's really good around this time of the year. I think I talked about that at the t- at the beginning of the last episode as well. Um, but they're different flavors. Um, so I'm on a new flavor this time. This one is like pumpkin cinnamon roll. And the last one was some other sort of pumpkin sort of thing. Um, but they definitely have distinct flavors. Um, maybe if I do a third part of this, I will have to try the third and final flavor of the syrups that my wife has so graciously provided for me. Um, but regardless, we are going to be tackling some more films today, as I said, and we're just in the middle of March. Um, we're still on March 20th, so we still have a full almost like nine months or something to go until we get up to the point in where I'm watching this, um, recording this rather, I mean. Um. But as I said in the last episode, in the middle of March, the week of my birthday and all of that, I was diagnosed with COVID, so I was watching a lot of films when I was alone upstairs by myself. Of course, there is a bed up here, and with that, I have the luxury of doing something that I don't get to do in my own bedroom, which is watch movies as I'm going to bed, because my bedroom um, that I share with my wife downstairs does not have a television in the room, but luckily for me, I was equipped up here with a television, a VCR. I had my PS5 up here, um, so I was just watching films all the time, any hour of the to- any hour of the night. And what I liked to do on those nights is, as I was winding down for bed, I would have my VCR plugged in to that television, and I would watch something from my VHS collection because I really don't watch VHS that much. Um, so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to plow through a lot of these VHS tapes that I have. Um, and I watched the first one. I believe I believe this was on VHS. Don't quote me. I might have had the DVD player up at the time that I watched this particular film. But for the other ones, I will let you know when it was definitely, definitely on the VCR. Um, but Son of Frankenstein, um, this is perhaps my favorite out of the original Universal Frankenstein films. Um, and one of my favorite Universal films in general, um, mainly because it has not only Boris Karloff, you got Bela Lugosi in there as well, you've got Lionel Atwell, a true veteran, um, a really great actor, of course, you have Sherlock Holmes himself, the legendary Basil Rathbone as the title character, this son of Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster, he kind of takes a little bit of a back burner in this one, just because there's so much other stuff going on. But in a way, it kind of works. It's sort of like less is more with the monster, because there's so much other shit going on. Um, I will read the description for you guys. Of course, this was from 1939. This is rounding out sort of the 30s um, Universal Monster. This is sort of what kicked off the original second wave of the Universal films when they started making them again. This film was originally supposed to be in color, actually, uh, but for whatever reason, they couldn't get the Jack Pierce makeup to look correctly, so they opted for black and white yet again, and I think they made the right call. I don't think that having one random Frankenstein film that's in color and then everything that came out after that, unless they continued to make them in color, but I don't think they would because it was more expensive at the time. um, I don't think it would have... I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like I, when I think of universal films, I think of them in black and white. So it would have just been very strange to have it in color. Um, but the black shadows of the past bred, this half man, half demon creating a new and terrible juggernaut of destruction. One of the sons of Frankenstein finds his father's monster in a coma and revives him only to find out he is controlled by Igor who is bent on revenge. Of course, Igor, played by Bela Lugosi. Perhaps my favorite performance from Bela Lugosi besides Dracula. He also gives very, very good performances in the Poe films that were going on a few years prior to this. The Black Cat, The Raven, Murders of the Room Org. Lugosi was just killing it, man. Um, Literally and figuratively in these films. Um, great, great actor, very underrated, everyone just knows him for Dracula, but really he popularized both Dracula and Igor. Um, and I mean Igor is a horror icon these days as well. You see there was just a movie called Igor that came out a few years ago. Of course, he was parodying in young Frankenstein. Igor is just a staple of horror history. Um so I guess you really have Bella Lugosi to thank for not only Dracula, but for Igor as well in terms of the perception of these characters. Because of course, Dracula was in literature and stuff like that. But the version of Dracula we all know and love is Bela Lugosi. But regardless, Son of Frankenstein, I hate to do this again to you guys, but this is another one that I talked about in my horror sequels podcast, so I'm not going to harp on it very long here. Just know that it is a great film. If you want a lot more details, you can go and watch that episode where I discuss it with the Midnight Jester mandroid himself, Miles. Um, And yeah, so definitely go check it out. I also talked about that in my Top 10 Universal Films episode that I did a few years ago. Um, so I've talked about it on the channel quite a bit. Um, so I don't really think I need to go too in depth on that. Again, I watched this one like as I was about to go to sleep. Um, and that's just something I like doing. I like watching like universal films before bed. Um, they're sort of like comfort films to me, bizarrely enough. Um, so the next films that I watched were actually on my birthday, March 22nd. Um, because on the 21st, I was watching films on the 21st, they just were not horror films. Um, I watched the Rurouni Kenshin films, The Samurai X, Trust and Betrayal, and Reflection. Um, but that is a whole story for a different day. Um, I think me and Dynamite Jared are gonna have to do some reviews of those, especially now that the live-action versions are out, um, of The Samurai X story. So, following that up, on my birthday was Which was a very bad birthday by the way i if you can 't imagine spending your birthday completely isolated alone upstairs can 't see anyone can 't do anything um, it was just very, very depressing birthday. The last birthday of my twenties was spent in isolation. Imagine that next year i 'm going to be thirty, and the last actually the last two birthdays of my twenties were spent in quarantine because Last year, of course, was when COVID all broke out around that time. So, I mean, you couldn't really do anything. You couldn't really go anywhere. Um, I mean, I had my wife, um, but, you know, it is what it is. Last two years of my 20s, just, you know, tangled up. Here's the, here's the thing that old people don't understand. Um, everyone wants to say all this shit, like, blah, 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 blah. Like, don't be upset about COVID. I think we have a reason to be upset. Um, because yeah, it's just two years or whatever, but we're losing our young years, um, to isolation. And I'm quite frankly, I'm spending my hottest years under a mask, brother. Um, it's just kind of rough. I mean, I get it. I obviously wear your masks if you are not vaccinated. Of course I am vaccinated, but still required to wear a mask. Um, when I go certain places, um, and at work, of course, I'm still required to wear a mask. Um, but it just sucks. It sucks all the way around. No one likes wearing a mask. Um, but you gotta do it, man. You gotta. Don't even complain about it. Don't do this shit. Of course, by the time this episode comes out, masks might be completely lifted or we could be in another lockdown. I don't fucking know. I'm recording this a few weeks early. Um, you never know what could happen. But anyway, what I was talking about everyone knows that Nosferatu is one of my favorite silent films. And so I decided to watch for my first time. Nosferatu the Vampire from the 70s, um, directed by Werner Herzog, 1979, to wrap up the decade. Um, This was a very good film. Um, I don't know how often I'm going to be revisiting it, um, but it was a very good film. Apparently, they're making another Nosferatu with uh, Robert Eggers, who was, of course, the director of The Witch and The Lighthouse. I love his films. And... It is rumored that my boy, Robert Pattinson, will be playing the titular character, Count Orlock slash Dracula, slash Nosferatu, even though that's not actually his name, but everyone calls him it anyway. Sort of like Frankenstein's monster. That's not his name, but I mean, people just know him as Frankenstein. Everyone knows this Count Orlock character as Nosferatu, so I mean, it's fine. It's whatever. Even though they don't call him that in the film, it is what it is. That's not his name, but it is his name. I understand. I understand. It's fine. Nosferatu, he who is doomed to wander alone in darkness. Jonathan Harker, a real estate agent, goes to Transylvania to visit the mysterious Count Dracula and finalize the purchase of a property in Wismar. Once Jonathan is caught under his evil spell, Dracula travels to Wismar, where he meets the beautiful Lucy Jonathan's wife, while a plague spreads through the town now ruled by death. Very similar to what we're going through now. Another plague, uh, about a hundred years after the original Nosferatu came out. Nosferatu is always a plague-carrying sort of film, and the first one, of course, it's with the rats. Well, really, it's the fleas on the rats but in this one as well, it does the same sort of scenario, so it does follow the Dracula story, but Nosferatu is also its own twist on the story, because there's certain things in Nosferatu that does not happen in Dracula, and I think it's cool that the remake of Nosferatu follows that same trend, and it's not just a straight retelling of the Dracula story, it is a retelling of the Nosferatu story. Um, I really like this film a lot. It's very creepy. Um, I don't know if I'd call it scary, but I would call it creepy. I would call it unsettling. I call it disturbing. Um, three and a half stars, man. This is a good one. Um, I, I can't put it into the four star category for me personally. Um, but I think it's a very great, well done film, um, worthy of at least one watch. Um, I think if you're a horror fan, definitely check this one out. A film that I haven't seen that I really want to see is Shadow of the Vampire, the comedy with Willem Dafoe in it as Nosferatu, as Count Orlock, um, where it's the making of Nosferatu, and his character is a real vampire in real life. So he's getting into all these behind the scenes trouble, like he's eating, like he's sucking the blood of crew members and stuff like that. Um, I want to see that film really bad. Um, John Malkovich is in it as F.W. Murnau, the director of Nosferatu. Um, So that one's been on my list for a long time. Cinemassacre talked about it in his top five movies about making movies way, way back in the day. So that's one that's sort of been on my list, but I found it's sort of hard to get a copy of it on DVD or VHS, even for relatively cheap. I'm sure that's changes now. I haven't checked in a few years. Um, but I remember at the time when I was looking for it, it was kind of a hard film to get. Um, the next one I watched was definitely on VHS as I was getting ready for bed. I watched, well, rewatched rather Bride of the Monster, the Ed Wood classic from 1955, starring Bella Lugosi and Tor Johnson and a fake octopus. And stock footage of an octopus. Dr. Eric Vornoff, with the help of his mute assistant Lobo, captures 12 men for a grizzly experiment. His goal is to turn them into supermen using atomic energy. Ladies and gentlemen, this film is horrible, yet magical and great and fantastic all at the same time. Of course, if you've watched the film Ed Wood, if you've seen Cinemassacre's Ed Woodathon, you know the famous speech where he's talking about turning into, turning them into Superman to take over the world. Um, it's a very, very great, funny, campy film. Of course, you get Lobo like wandering into the hallway and crashing into the wall and the whole house shaking and Ed Wood just kind of rolled with it as you see in the film Ed Wood um if you haven't seen the film Ed Wood I highly recommend it um one of Tim Burton's best it's probably my favorite Tim Burton film um Ed Wood it's it's tough to say I'm very mixed bag on Tim Burton surprisingly um I feel like he's in general Tim Burton is overrated as a director. I still appreciate a lot of his work, but there's some of his stuff that I don't know. I just can't, I can't get into. Um, and I think the craze for a lot of his stuff is a little strange to me. Like Nightmare Before Christmas, even though he didn't direct it, I mean, it's good and everything, but like, I don't know why it's the biggest phenomenon ever. Um, but regardless um, Bride of the Monster is a great time if you can get in the right state of mind to watch it. I own two copies of it. I have it in my Ed Wood box set on DVD, and I also have it on VHS. And I have a Bride of the Monster poster. If you remember my original game room tour um, back like Jesus, like three years ago at this point, um, back when I was living in the Columbus House of Horror, um, we relocated the House of Horror. We found a haunted house in Cleveland, thankfully that I could move into. Um, but in the Columbus House of Horror, I did have the game room, and you saw my Bride of the Monster poster displayed proudly next to my horror DVDs. Um, I love the poster of this, and it's it's a great campy film. I mean, I can't recommend it to everyone, but I think if you do your research on it and see if it's something you would find enjoyable, then I think you can judge for yourself if you're going to like Bride of the Monster. I enjoy it. It's, again, it's not one of my go-tos. It's not one I'm going to be popping in all the time, but I do like the film. The next film I watched the day after my birthday, March 23rd, back when I was just a normal 29-year-old man instead of a special birthday boy, I watched a film on Amazon Prime called They Live Inside Us. I was sold by the poster on this one it's just a guy in front of a TV, you've got jack-o'-lanterns, and you've got like a creepy house in the background with a full moon, well, I was like, all right, I mean, it's probably an indie film, it's probably not going to be anything special, um, but I like the poster, and I mean, as Tim Boggs told me, if you can get a good poster, you're going to get people to watch the film, So and that's what got me, so I was like, all right, you know what, I'm going to watch this, it should be fine, this was a 2020 film, so it was a relatively brand new film, directed by Michael Bailiff um, seeking inspiration for a new writing project, a man spends his Halloween night in a notoriously haunted house. He soon realizes he is living his own horror story. So it's a great concept for a film because he's writing a horror story and he found that what he's writing is actually happening to him or it's happening as he's writing it and stuff like that. I can't remember the exact specifics of it. It's one of those films where I wish it had a bigger budget because the, everything about the film besides the premise doesn't work. Um, and I feel really bad about it. Um, I gave it one and a half stars. Um, and I, yeah, I feel really bad about it because I feel like it had a lot of potential, but it didn't really live up to that potential because it was so low budget and I don't know. It was written, shot, edited, and directed by the same person, which is never a good sign. Um, it's always nice to have someone in there to bounce ideas off of, and if you're writing it, directing it, shooting it, and editing it, it's very much a personal project, and I feel like you need... I'm not saying that this director didn't have other input from people, but I feel like you need another like creative voice in there to really bounce ideas off of and make it a good project, which is why I love collaborating with people because I can have great ideas and stuff like that, but I always love seeing what other people can bring to the table so we can both make their project better. Like I said, it's very, very, very low budget. Um, I took a couple notes during the film. Um, I loved the opening music and the spooky Halloween vibes throughout. Um, the acting is horrendous. I wrote, um, there was a TV shot in the film. And I remember this, like it was just a shot of the television and it was a still image that they reused over and over again. And would just, you know, like mat like different films on the TV. So it was just the same static shot over and over again, but they would have the TV have like a different video on the TV, but you could tell that the background was just a static background. And then they put the video in there in post. Um, I don't want to be too hard on it. Like I feel like I'm bitching about it a lot. I don't want to be too hard on it because I know it was low budget. But I think the one of the main reasons why it doesn't work on this low budget is because it tries to be too serious for what it is. Um, And I think when you have a project this small and it's made on like an indie scale, you've got to try to have some fun with the concept and the subject matter and the script. Um, And I thought it was just being way too serious. Um, I liked how we see the stories he's writing. It's pretty much like getting a horror anthology because the stories he's writing are like coming to life. Um, It did have a good jump scare in the kitchen. And I remember really liking the score. I remember it having good atmospheric music, but there were like fake original songs in it, like with lyrics. And I remember those were pretty, pretty bad. Um, Again, I feel like I bitched about it a lot. Um, but I do think this director has a lot of potential. Um, I just hope someday he gets a bigger budget, um, and is able to get like some studio backing and really be able to make like a good, good horror film. Um, cause I do see a lot of potential in this, but it just didn't hit the mark for me. Um, but again, like give him, give him a couple mil and let him remake this, um, with a studio and a crew and stuff like that. And some really talented actors, um, and I think you could actually have something here, um, but as it is, do not recommend, um, but regardless, I feel bad being mean about it, because it's not a multi-million dollar studio production, so you kind of have to know what you're getting, um, but again, it just makes you, makes you wish it was better, Alrighty, so moving on. I spent a little bit much more time than I wanted to talking about that one, but I just want to emphasize I don't want to be like overly harsh on it, even though I have a lot of negative things to say. I just wish it would have been done by a major studio, I guess. Um, bottom line, give this dude some cash. <laughs> um, so coming up next for the films that I'm talking about, I actually watched an entire series of film. Um, within the course of a few days. And I, of course, am talking about the Nightmare on Elm Street series. I'm not going to be going in-depth about any of these films on this podcast here, because I've been very, very public about the fact that I am going to be doing its own separate video this year for the Nightmare on Elm Street films with Midnight Miles. We're going to be ranking the entire franchise, including Freddy vs. Jason and the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, So I'm not going to go in depth on any of these films here because we're going to be doing an entire hour long, maybe even longer than an hour episode about it. We haven't recorded it at the time of me recording this, so I'm not sure how long it's actually going to go, but it's going to be quite a lengthy discussion, um, similar to our Halloween podcast that we did the previous year, um, where we ranked all of the Halloween films. We're doing the same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street, um, but I watched, in th- I, these, this is the order I watched the films in for some reason. I watched New Nightmare First, then the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and then all the way in order from there. So it was New Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child, they did not number it five for some reason, and Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Um, And then I took a couple days off um, in between those, and then watched Freddy vs. Jason and the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street on the same day, um, but I took a little bit of a gap in between since those ones are a little bit different um, with the Um, because obviously one is a remake, so it doesn't really tie into any of the other ones, and then Freddy vs. Jason is sort of a collab with the Friday the 13th franchise, obviously, um, and again, it's it is part of the same Um, franchise, but it's also sort of like its own separate thing um, in a lot of ways. So I decided to take a couple days off and then watch those then. Um, So... The next film I'm going to be talking about and giving the description for like you guys are accustomed to, instead of just mentioning the entire series and saying, hey, I'm not talking about it, is Robot Monster from 1953. This is one that I watched on VHS, and it looked absolutely terrible. Um, It's in 3D, allegedly, but the VHS, of course, does not give you 3D glasses to watch it with, Um, so it ends up just being, you know, just normal. Um, this was directed by Phil Tucker, Um, I guess, I'm learning that for the first time, because I'm reading the description of the film here, even if you haven't seen this film, this is another one that if you're a horror fan, you're at least familiar with the imagery from, this is the one where it's basically the guys in the gorilla suits with the space helmets on, um, just wandering around Bronson Cave, Um, very, very comical film, The Row Men, as they are called, Um, This is my first time actually watching this from start to finish. I've seen bits and pieces of it over the years, of course. I've seen the Cinemassacre review of it. I've seen the many memes that have come out of it. There's a bubble machine in it. There's the scene where he's like, you are not a human, you are a Roman, and stuff like that. It's a very meme-worthy film. This would be a cool one to remake, (laughs) I guess, maybe, Um, but it sort of stands on its own as its own campy 50s alien invaders type horror film. Moon monsters launch attack against Earth. How can science meet the menace of astral assassins? New science fiction thrills. That is their tagline. Roman, an alien robot who greatly resembles a gorilla in a diving helmet, (laughs) is sent to Earth to destroy all human life. Roman falls in love with one of the last six remaining humans and struggles to understand how his programming can instruct him to kill her while his heart Demands that he can't. So it's also a love story. Um, This film is a great campy B movie. It is very slow at parts, um, but I still find it enjoyable. I only gave it one and a half stars because I can't, without good conscience, give it anything more than that. Um, But it is a good film um, if you're in the right state of mind for it, if you're in for some campy. Like 50s B movie action. Um, It's definitely a fun one to check out. Of course, it uses Bronson Cave as the primary setting, as I've said, um, which is probably most famous as being Batman's Bat Cave. And it's been used in like a billion films, westerns, all kinds of stuff. Take a little swig of the water for the people at home. This is also my chance to remind you guys to stay hydrated. And if you're driving, make sure you're paying attention to the road and, you know, if you're at home doing the dishes, don't cut your fucking finger in the sink, um, no matter what you're doing, if you're vacuuming, I don't know how you can hear me over the vacuum, but sometimes I can get pretty loud, um, so do, do your own thing, man, just keep doing what you're doing, whatever you're doing, just keep on keeping on, and apparently, I stayed awake through the entirety of Robot Monster, because I actually watched another film on that day, from my VHS collection, Invaders from Mars from the same year. Another alien invader movie from the 50s, um, which was very, very common at the time. This is another very famous film if you've seen the imagery from it. Um, Cinemassacre has called it basically the Poor Man's War of the Worlds, uh, but it does stand on its own in its own right. It was remade in the 80s as well. Again, um, it, it's famous for, he brings up the, the weird fence on the trail. And stuff and all that. Um, there's a lot of iconic imagery from this. Um, directed by William Cameron Menzies. Natural or supernatural? In the early hours of the night, young David sees a flying saucer land and disappear into the sand dunes just beyond his house. Slowly, all the adults, including his once loving parents, begin to act strangely. Of course, as I mentioned, this was remade by Toby Hooper in the 80s. Um, Which, with a much more comedic light, it wasn't meant to be taken as seriously. Um, This one has a lot of iconic lines in it as well, and it's also worth mentioning that the young boy David has a cameo in the '80s version as a police officer. Um, And this one, again, there's not as much to say about it. It's a it's another alien invader film, um, where it's taking control of the adults. Uh, There's a scene where like David notices. a little mark on the back of his dad's neck, letting him know something isn't quite right with his father. And he like asks his dad, he's like, "Oh, what's what's wrong with your neck there?" And the dad's like, "Oh, I cut it on a barbed wire fence." And the kid's like, "Oh, that doesn't look like barbed wire." And the father smacks him across the face. Um, very, very um, not PC these days, um, but back then people used to get smacked. I got hit as a kid as well. Not anything like that, but a little smack on the bottom, you know. Um, but that film was, I don't know, I don't want to say underwhelming, because I didn't really have any expectations of it going in, um, I knew it wasn't really supposed to be, like, a major, major classic, um, and it, I, I, I can see myself re-watching it, maybe, when I'm not so tired, because I watched a bunch of Nightmare on Elm Streets that day, and then Robot Monster, and then this was, like, my fifth film of the day, um, because I would literally just wake up in the morning and start watching films the entire day long. Um, but yeah, the next day I watched Cult of Chucky, um, which is one of my favorite films in the Child's Play series. Um, it's tough to say. It's tough to put a favorite out there, um, because it could change all the time. It's definitely not part three. It's definitely not Seed of Chucky. Um, I know that, um, definitely not the remake, but Cult of Chucky is up there, um, they tried a lot of different interesting things with it. Like there's multiple Chucky dolls in the film because why not possess a bunch of Chucky dolls? Um, of course, you have the original Chucky doll in it, who's just a severed head. You have um, the original kid Andy, now an adult, in the film. Um, and the entire film takes place in a mental hospital, which is a different sort of scenario than you get with a lot of your child's play films. It's a different setting. Normally, it's a haunted house. Chucky's been in a school. Um, But this entire thing pretty much takes place in the mental hospital. And the tagline is, you may feel a little prick. Get it? Because they're in a hospital, and Chucky is a little prick, and a little prick is like a shot. Get it? Nice tagline. Confined to an asylum for the criminally insane, Nika Pierce is convinced that she, not Chucky, murdered her entire family. Of course, referring to the previous film Curse of Chucky. But when the psychiatrist introduces a new therapeutic good guy doll with a familiar face, a string of new grisly deaths leads Nika to wonder if she isn't crazy after all. Um, Again, this one has a lot of great moments. It has some of my favorite moments out of the Child's Play series. Like, there's a scene, it's like a death scene where they're laying in front of, like, a sunroof, basically, and the glass shatters and makes the body go into a billion pieces. Very gory. Um it's very funny and it's very serious which is how I like my chucky films. Um I like them to be a good mix of horror and comedy with one not necessarily outshadowing the other one. I think that's when it works its best. Um and that's why a lot of the films just don't work for me because it either goes too much with the comedy or too much with the horror because I mean like if it's a killer doll movie I mean that you got to have a sense of humor with it. Um it's a really good film. I like it quite a bit. Um Again, this is another one I talked about in other shows. Um, it was directed by our boy Don, um, who, of course, is the champion of this entire series, created the series, but he's only actually directed a few of the films. Um, he has not directed the entire franchise, but he's definitely been an integral part of it. In fact, he's only directed Seed of Chucky, Curse of Chucky, Cult of Chucky, and it looks like that's it. But he wrote pretty much all of them. Um, and was a very, um, you know, very, he was basically the mastermind behind the entire thing, um, so didn't have a part in the remake, I don't think, I don't think he had anything to do with the remake, um, to my knowledge, I mean, I think he would have to sign off on it, but regardless, next film I watched, this was another VHS, as I'm plowing my way through my VHS collection, this one's an older one, this one's from 1930. 1943, called The Leopard Man, and this is one I've had in my collection for a long time, didn't really know too, too much about it, so I was like, you know what, screw it, I'm gonna pop it in, and this is one I think if I was watching it under different circumstances, I think it would have been a lot better, but at the time, I mean, I was watching some pretty, like, hype shit, as I said, I was watching all the Nightmare on Elm Streets. even when I was watching, like, the 50s B-movies, it was still, like, made in the 50s, and it still had, like, this campy quality to it. The Leopard Man is a little bit drier. It's a little, takes itself more seriously. It's from the early 40s, and from what I've heard, it's actually a very, very good film, and it's one that I want to rewatch under better circumstances. I only gave it two stars, um, but it's definitely one I'm going to consider checking out again, and maybe, who knows, maybe it sucks, and I'm just crazy, or maybe I was overlooking some aspects of it. Um, it's a very short description here on Letterboxd. Woman alone, what the, woman alone, the victims of strange savage killers. So oh, I don't even know what that means. Um, when a leopard escapes during a publicity stunt, it triggers a series of murders. Um, but is it just a leopard or is it a leopard man? Um, but it looks like, cause I'm just scrolling down here. Everyone on my Letterboxd who has watched it, watched it has given it a pretty good rating. No one has left it a review out of the people I'm friends with on Letterboxd, so I was going to pull up some of the things that people have said about it that I know, but no one has said anything about it that I don't. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one I want to check out again. I don't want to go in depth about it, because I don't really have too much to say about it, obviously. Then, this is when I watched Freddy vs. Jason and a Nightmare on Elm Street remake from 2010 so skipping over those, the next one I watched, again, from the VHS, actually, fun fact, my very first horror VHS, that's part of my collection, um, not necessarily, like, I don't know, like, I had, like, Rugrats Halloween as a kid, and, like, things of that nature, but the first, like, horror film that I was, like, gifted um and was put in my collection that I basically the first horror film that I still have the box for. Because as a kid, my parents would always throw out the VHS boxes, they would always throw out the DVD cases, stuff like that. So I just have like these blank tapes. So basically my first VHS intact that's part of my collection that I have displayed. Part of the collection that is displayed is Attack of the Crab Monsters. From 1957, Roger Corman very iconic poster of the woman in between the crab claws um this was one of the films that my uncle introduced to me um he would always 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 bring up Attack of the Crab Monsters, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Those were like his go-tos, and I guess like at a young age, he knew I wanted to get into film, so these were the films he was like encouraging me to watch. This was actually a gift from my uncle, Um, so shout out to him. I still have it after all of these years, um, still displayed proudly in my tape room. From the depths of the sea, a tidal wave of terror a group of scientists travel to a remote island to study the effects of nuclear weapons, only to get stranded when their airplane mysteriously explodes. The team soon discovers that the tests here, given rise to crabs, mutated into intelligent, impervious telepathic giants intent on increasing their numbers by breeding, then traveling to populated areas to feed, and which do not intend to be stopped by their discoveries. So, they're getting attacked by crab monsters, giant crabs attacking people. Um, it's a classic B movie. It's one of the most classic B movies as far as they come. Um, right up there with attack of the 50 foot woman and attack of the crab, uh, attack of the killer tomatoes. Um, these are just classic, like cheesy B movies that you watch. And this is another one that I've seen a few times over the years, just decided to pop it on as I was going to bed. And you know, it holds up for what it is. I mean, again, if you're in want to be watching a campy '50s monster movie, you get what you get. It's obviously not the same quality as a Godzilla. It's not the same quality as um, like a Beast of Twenty Thousand Fathoms. It's not in that top tier of monster movies, but it's not at the bottom tier either. We're going to be talking about another one that's at the bottom tier in a little bit, but. This was actually the last film that I watched during my quarantine. After this, I was finally released. Um, it was the the two weeks were over, and the very first thing I did was I went and I got my vaccine shot um, because I was finally eligible at the time. It was weird. Like I became <clears throat> I became eligible as I was diagnosed, and then by the time I got out, I was able to get it. So that was great for me, I guess. Wish I would have been able to get it a couple weeks earlier and could have avoided the whole thing, but it is what it is. But the first film that I watched when I was released to the downstairs of my home, finally finally being able to watch a film on my big screen TV instead of the little ones I have upstairs, was I decided for some reason to watch the Friday the 13th remake. Um, maybe because I just watched the Nightmare on Elm Street one. And you know what? I just felt like watching it. So that's what I watched. There's very, very meme moments in the Friday the 13th remake. The title card does not even show up until like 23 minutes into the film. Um, And of course, there's the classic sex scene um, that Miles always referred to where the guy says that the you got perfect nipple placement or whatever the line is. Um, Friday the 13th from 2009. Welcome to Crystal Lake. A group of young adults visit a boarded up campsite named Crystal Lake where they soon encounter the mysterious Jason Voorhees and his deadly intentions. Um, this is a good horror remake. It's nothing special. Um, it's nothing compared to to some of the best in Friday the 13th, but it's also not the worst. Um, when it comes to Nightmare on Elm Street, when you look at that remake, it's hard to put it above any of the originals. But with the Friday the 13th, I definitely think it's better than some of the ones in the original Kinology. Um It's just hard to say. Everyone has different opinions about it. I gave it two and a half stars, which means it's a good film, but it's not one I'm going to revisit all the time. Um so just take that for what it is. It has some memorable moments. It has some meme-worthy moments. Um Jason is cool in it obviously. It shows him basically it shows the stages of Jason. Um I believe he has like the sack head at some point and then he gets the mask later on. Um it's just a good film. The next film that I watched from 1977 House. Not to be confused with the American film named House. This is the Japanese house called Haosu in Japan. Um, Hoping to find a sense of connection to her late mother, Gorgeous takes a trip to the country to visit her aunt at their ancestral house. She invites her six friends, Professor, Melody, Mac, Fantasy, Kung Fu, and Sweet to join her. The girls soon discover that there is more to the old house than meets the eye. This is one that I 1 billion percent need to do a full review and breakdown of because it's hard to even explain it in this context right now, in this podcast. Um, Because essentially, it is a haunted house film, but it's more than just that. This film, like, if you've seen it, you know, but this film is nuts. This film is absolutely insane there's like watermelon scenes, there's crazy like acid trips towards the end, and it's just hard that it has a generic name, and it sort of has a generic starting premise. A bunch of young girls go to a haunted house. Um, It's like, how original can you get? But this film is so original, it's so creative, it's so entertaining, it's so funny, and it's so scary. Um, It has every box checked. Um, I think this might be my favorite international horror film. It's tough to say, um, but this film is really something incredible. Um, This is one I encourage everyone to check out. Um, I know a lot of people don't like watching international films; you have to read subtitles. But get over it. Um, There's so many. Like Bong Joon Ho, he said, "Like you're open to the world of so many." great new films when you can get over the half inch of text at the bottom, Um, and this is a film that I definitely think everyone should check out if you're into psychological horror, if you're into 70s horror, Um, just everything about this film just works, Um, I absolutely adore the film, Um, it's really, really great, it's really funny, it's really scary, there's a lot of really creative moments to it, it has iconic artwork, Um, if you've seen the artwork, to it. I have it on Criterion. It's also on HBO Max. Um, I definitely recommend, when you're done listening to this podcast, of course, you you go check out House. Um, Easy, easy four stars, and honestly, I feel like I could even bump that up a little bit. Um, It might be four and a half, honestly. I can't give it a full five. That might be a four and a half film. Really, really, really great. Um... The next two films that I watched in the same day were the original Godzilla, the Japanese version, not the version um, in English, the Godzilla King of the Monsters. I watched Gojira um, and King Kong, the original. Um, Both of these are four and a half star films. Both of these films are absolutely quintessential classic monster films. But we'll start with Godzilla 1954, Ishiro Honda, Um, The Goat directed many, many, many of the Godzilla films. Not all of them, um, but directed a lot of them, and he directed a lot of the really noteworthy ones. Um, And I'm not going to go too in-depth with the Godzillas from the Showa era, because, spoiler alert, I watched all of them coming up on these. I will mention when I watched them and stuff like that on what day it was, because I watched them out of order, um but again this is another one with Jared we're going to be ranking the entire Showa era from the Criterion set um so I'm not going to go in depth on them in this particular episode because there's going to be a whole episode dedicated to them but I will talk about the first one and King Kong for a little bit because we watched them for specific reasons at this time this was before I think we decided to review all of the films so I watched this one and there was a considerable gap before I watched any other ones, Um, Godzilla, a weapon of science, a great battle of wonder and terror. Japan is thrown into a panic after several ships explode and are sunk near Odo Ocean, an expedition to the island led by paleontologist Professor Yamani soon discovers something more devastating than imagined in the form of a 50-meter-tall monster whom the natives call Gojira. Now the monster begins a rampage that threatens to destroy not only Japan, but the rest of the world as well. Um, I don't think I need to go much more in depth than that. It is Godzilla. It is probably the best giant monster movie ever made, Um, besides this next one that I'm talking about, which is King Kong. Of course, from considerably earlier, about 20 years in fact, pretty much, was King Kong, um, 1933. This, of course, was the American monster, um, a monster of creations. Dawn breaks loose in our world today. A film crew discovers the eighth wonder of the world, a giant prehistoric ape, and brings him back to New York, where he wreaks havoc. Um, Japan is known for like the king of like the giant monster movies. Of course, you have Godzilla. You have like the Ultraman series, where he's always facing giant monsters like Power Rangers, um, Gamera, Mothra, Rodan. Um, but us in America, I mean we conceptualized a monster as well King Kong and of course they would eventually fight which is why we watched which is why I decided to watch both of these was because King Kong versus Godzilla was coming out and I decided you know what I need to watch it so I re-watched both of them in preparation for Legendary's Godzilla versus Kong film which came out a few days later and I also wanted to re-watch King Kong versus Godzilla the original on the same day that I watched the remake. Um, But in between that, I did watch The Wasp Woman, which is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these bottom-tier 50s movies. Also directed by Roger Corman. Horror of the Winged Menace. The head of a major cosmetics company experiments on herself with a youth formula made from royal jelly extracted from wasps, but the formula's side effects have deadly consequences. So this one, when we talked about, in the very first season of Lost on VHS, if you remember, we covered a film called The Rejuvenator, also known as Rejuvenatrix. Um, It is basically the same plot as The Lost Woman. You're taking a weird serum in order to prevent aging and to make yourself look younger, and it has terrible side effects. In the case of the wasp woman, she's turning into a wasp. The poster is a bit misleading, and the tagline is a bit misleading. because It says, horror of the winged menace. On the poster, it shows a giant wasp with a woman's head on it, but in the film, it's a normal woman with a wasp's head. Um, So it's very, very unbalanced. I mean, just look at the poster in the film. It contrasts greatly. I mean, the poster is a lot better than the monster in the film. But regardless, this film is very dry, very boring. Don't really recommend. Um, Actually, if you like 50s movies, I think it's one that you should watch. Um, Just to say that you've watched it, but it's not one that you should watch all the time. But, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. And so the next ones that I watched were Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla on the 30th. Again, not going to go into much detail on Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Um, or King Kong vs. Godzilla, which I watched the following day, because those are going to be in the Godzilla tier list episode. And of course, after that, I watched Godzilla vs. Kong, which me, Jared, and Miles all did a podcast about. Of course, it was a brand new film. It was my first time back in the cinemas in over a year. Um, I believe the last film I watched was Sonic the Hedgehog in February, and this and this was at the end of March. I'm very happy to be back at a movie theater watching movies with a bunch of people it's my favorite way to watch movies is in the theater um i also love watching them at the drive-in i haven't been back to the drive-in this year i gotta get back to the drive-in holy shit dude the drive-in's awesome if you guys haven't been in the drive-in um but this of course directed by adam wingard one will fall in a time when monsters walk the earth humanity's fight for its future sets on godzilla and kong on a collision course that will see the two most powerful forces of nature on the planet collide in a spectacular battle for the ages. Um, Again, did a whole podcast with this with the Midnight Jester and Dynamite Dingbat, so go ahead and check that out. And that rounds out March, man. So I don't know how long we've been going, but that rounds out the month of March. So next up, we are obviously moving on to the month of April, and I'm going to try to plow through these a little bit quicker cuz honestly I'm not trying to do another part of this <laughs> because I think that'll just be a little bit of overkill if I do like 3 or 4 different parts of this in October. Let's try to stick to the two parts and then we'll do the third part at the end of the year. And the good news is is in these months I wasn't really watching that many horror films. So I, it'll be easier to plow through a lot of these, but starting off in April, I watched the illustrious Plan 9 from Outer Space, of course, directed by Edward D. Wood Jr., The Goat, um, from 1957, starring quote-unquote Abella Lugosi, Tor Johnson again, and Vampira. um, this is, Applauded as the worst film ever made. I disagree. This film is great. This film is awesome. It's very bad. That doesn't mean it's the worst film. The worst film ever made should be a film that's not enjoyable. The worst film ever made should be a film that you can only watch like two minutes of and turn off. A film that you're watching the entire duration, the 79 minutes and having a great time, can no way, shape, or form be called the worst film ever made. I don't even think it's Ed Wood's worst film. Ed Wood has made way worse films than Plan 9 from Outer Space, but this is the one that gets all of the attention. Unspeakable Horrors from Outer Space Paralyze the Living and Resurrect the Dead. Um, This one has a very long description on Letterboxd, so I'm not going to read it. Um, Plan 9 from Outer Space, it's great. It has the scene where Tor Johnson gets stuck coming out of the graveyard site, And of course, the dead are coming back to life. There's aliens involved because, of course, it is the plan from outer space. It's the ninth plan. I'd hate to see what plans one through eight were. Um, Bela Lugosi, of course, unfortunately passed away um, before they were making a lot of the scenes in the film, but they had some pre recorded footage of him that they were planning on using for another project that they were able to incorporate into this film. And of course, they ended up using Ed Wood's wife's chiropractor to fill in for Lugosi as like a body double, even though he's like way taller and you can tell he looks absolutely nothing like him. And he just sort of covers his face with the cape, um, which is what really, really popularized the vampire covering his face with a cape. Um, which had only happened a few times before that, even though, I mean, again, it was it was parodying and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and stuff, so it had happened before that, but this is really the one you think of where the vampire's just kind of walking around with the cape covering his eyes the entire time. Um, it's a really good film um, for what it is, and for what it is, is a bad film, but I adore it. It's great. There's a lot of Every time I watch this film, there's something weird that I never noticed before. Um, And again, it's one of those films that is absolutely essential. I think every horror fan needs to watch Plan 9 from Outer Space, at least once. Um, The next film I watched with Jared was Godzilla vs. Hedera. Again, not going to talk about that one. Um, Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, as it's known um, as well. Um, But Hedera is the name of the Smog Monster. The next film I watched is not a horror film, but it's very horrible. We watched White Chicks for some reason. My wife insisted upon watching that one night, followed by Godzilla Raids again, again skipping over that one. That's the second Godzilla film um, made. The only other one that's in black and white, um, just the first one, and Godzilla Raids again. Um, The next one that I watched is that, I guess you could call it a horror film. It has horror elements, Was the demon slayer film Mugen Train? Um, This is one of the best anime films that I've ever seen, Um, and I had watched it because I knew it was getting a lot of hype. So what I wanted to do was I binged as much as as much of the series as I could before watching the film, watched the film, and then finished out the series, and then of course watched the film again with my wife once she caught up with everything. This is another one I did a whole podcast with Jared about, so I'm not going to go in depth on it here, but it is worth mentioning. Um, not technically a horror film, but definitely, I mean, it's called Demon Slayer. There's demons in it. There's horror elements to it. There's a lot of great um, concepts brought forward in this one with the dreaming, and there's some scary stuff in this. There's some very disturbing things in it um, having to do with Tanjiro's family. Um, in the nightmare sequences. There's a lot of really, really great stuff in this film. Um, so I definitely think if you're a horror fan and you haven't watched Demon Slayer yet, it's not a horror series, um, but I think it has a lot of like horror elements that people can get into. Um, the last film that I watched in April, as, as you can see, we're plowing through April because there weren't as many films that I watched in April. Because March, obviously, I was watching a billion films all of the time. Um, But this film I watched with Miles after much um, deliberation. Um, We were trying to figure out what to watch. We were scrolling through his Roku TV, and we had discovered that it was finally streaming, a film that we have been looking for for years. Howling 7, New Moon Rising. Um, This film feels like an SOV, even though I don't think that it was somewhere out there, a new terror is breeding, um, and I'm not going to read the description about this one as well, it's a, it's a, it's a werewolf film, um, from what I remember, um, it has a lot of SOV elements in it, as I said, it takes place, like, in the country, um, there's, like, a lot of, like, western things going on, it has some cool music in it. it, feels like a cowboy film at parts, um, I would say, Um, it's enjoyable. It's fun. I'm glad that I watched it. It's not a very good film. I only gave it two stars, but I am glad that I watched it. Um, but there's not as much to say about it. You don't need to like, for some reason, if you're like, all right, got to watch Howling 7, you don't really need to see the first six. Um, it's, is a self-contained story. Um, I haven't seen all of the Howling films. I've seen the first one, obviously. I think the second one. I've seen part four with Miles, and then I've seen part seven, which is this one, The New Moon Rising. Um, should have been Bad Moon Rising. Should have got some CCR on the soundtrack. Your boy John Fogerty. Um, in May, I didn't watch any horror films besides rewatching the Demon Slayer film again with my wife. In June, we're going to plow through The first one's real fast. I watched Ghidra, the Three-Headed Monster, Invasion of the Astro Monster, and Ebra, Horror of the Deep all in a row. Then I watched The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It To Him, on June 5th with Jared. Again, that's another one we did a whole podcast about. The film is weak, one and a half star, don't recommend it. Um, Not one of the ones out of The Conjuring franchise I would ever see myself watching again. The next film, the classic Brandon Lee film, The Crow, which is a borderline horror film. It's a comic book film action movie, but it fits Believe in Angels. Exactly one year after young rock guitarist Eric Draven and his fiance are brutally killed by a ruthless gang of criminals, Draven, watched over by the hypnotic crow, returns from the grave to exact revenge. Um, I don't think I need to go really in-depth about The Crow um, it's a very, very iconic film. One of the most iconic films of all time, really. Um, Sting, the wrestler, based his gimmick off of The Crow. Of course, Brandon Lee unfortunately lost his life on the set of The Crow. Um, there probably would have been a lot of sequels with him. Um, very unfortunate circumstance. Um, And I'm not going to go in depth about that. I mean, you can look into it if you want to. Um, Very unfortunate. I don't like talking about it um, because it's just sad, dude. It's very sad. Um, But yeah, The Crow, recommend. The next film I watched was a film from 2021 called Awake. This was a Netflix film. Um, It was not very good. I don't really remember much about it. Um, The tagline says, disorientation, hallucinations, hysteria, sleep is survival um i don't remember the film being very good i gave it one star it's one that my mother-in-law would have loved i think she actually was the one that put it on um i wasn't feeling it i don't know if i wasn't in the right mood or what um but it's not very good in my opinion coming up on june 19th was mothra versus godzilla and then on june 27th was southbound from 2015 This is an anthology film um, that we watched as a group. So Miles was over, Jared, Maisie, and of course, my illustrious wife. The film contains five stories set on desolate stretches of a desert highway. Two men on the run from their past, a band on its way to a gig, a man struggling to get home, a brother in the search for his long-lost sister, and a family on vacation are forced to confront their worst fears and darkest secrets in these interwoven tales. So this one, unlike Trick or Treat, the stories are not happening at the same time. They're happening, they sort of like lead into each other. Each story, one story ends and maybe a character crosses over into the next story to bridge the gap, or just a certain plot point is carried over. So they do all tie in together, but they're all very like, They're not interwoven like in Trick or Treat when the stories are happening at the same time and it cuts in between the stories. This one is very much story starts, goes into the next story, goes into the next story, goes into the next story. So it's unlike a lot of anthologies like Creepshow where each story is like self-contained and then they sort of bridge the gap with like little skits and narrations and stuff like that or they just straight up end and then the next story starts. This one does feel like an entire film like a cohesive picture because they all tie together. My two favorite stories are the ones that are in the center. Um, The band on its way to a gig um, and the one where the man struggles to get home. And those two, of course, tie in together. The character carries over from that. Um, I don't want to give anything away about those because I do like them quite a bit. Um, I don't know which one out of the two is better, but those are the two best ones. Um, the dude in the one where the man struggles to get home, the main character in that looks like AVGN. <laughs> he's wearing like the nerd outfit. And I think he's wearing glasses as well. Um, and then the band one, um, the band, uh, their car is broken down on the side of the road and then they're picked up. Um, and then they get picked up by people. Maybe you wouldn't want to get picked up by. And then for them, it's also a struggle for survival. Um, just like the man is struggling to get home and to survive. Um, in the second picture, um well, technically the third the first one's very short, and then the second one is really where it gets going. This third one continues the momentum. The fourth one is not as good, it's still enjoyable. and then the fifth one again is very middle of the road. It definitely it the best part is those two middle segments. um so those that's the highlight of the film for me. Those two segments, of course, they blend together. A character does carry over between the two of those, so I think that's the best, we were very skeptical of Miles, because he picked this film, and normally when Miles picks a film, it's one of the worst things of all time, but everyone enjoyed Southbound, Um, it was a very good film, he made a good choice, I think that one's streaming on Hulu um, at the time of recording this, so that one's a good one to check out, again, it's not a major, major classic or anything, Um, but definitely films that have come out in the past like 10 years, it's definitely a good one, especially for an anthology. Moving on to July, so we're getting closer to where we're at now. Son of Godzilla was the first one that I watched this month, then Godzilla vs. Megalon, and then A Quiet Place Part 2. This, of course, is the continuation of the film A Quiet Place, which happened a few years earlier, directed by John Krasinski, of course, from Office fame. Silence is not enough. Following the events at home, the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world, forced to venture into the unknown. Into the unknown. Anyway, I don't want to get copyright struck. They realize that the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats that lurk beyond the sand path. Um, Since this film is so new, I don't want to go in depth or give anything away about it, obviously. I did enjoy the film. I think it's a lot better than the first film on the first film, I thought was a little overrated, it was still good, but everyone was making it seem like the fucking second coming, um, but the second coming of a Twilight, of, wow, a quiet place, not a Twilight Zone, what the hell was I talking about, I gave it three and a half, I thought it was good, it does have a prequel element to it, um, where it shows the first attack of these creatures, and then of course, the rest of the film is the aftermath after the events of the first film, so it does jump between years, Um, I think it's very good. I think it has a lot of interesting ideas. The ending is a bit clunky, just like I feel the ending of the first one was a bit clunky. Um, but I am looking forward to part three. I'm looking forward to where they can go from here. I want to see if they have sort of more backstory on maybe how these things came to be. Um... But yeah, it's very good. I like a lot of the ideas thrown in this one. There's a lot of... The first one was known for being very silent the entire time. This one, there is a lot of dialogue, because spoiler, I guess mild spoilers, they are able to get to a place where there are no threat of these, so there's a lot of dialogue that takes place on those scenes, Um, and of course, there are a lot of scenes where those things are still a threat. So there's a lot of the quiet scenes. There's a lot of dialogue scenes where you're getting your plot. It's a good mix of both. Where the first one I thought it could be a little unbalanced at times. This one is definitely a more balanced film. After that, destroy all monsters. Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Gigan, and Terror of Mechagodzilla. Um, and I think that's all the Godzilla films. I think that's all the ones that um, I think that covers pretty much all of them. I think that was the last one. That on that day after watching Godzilla. Miles invited me over to watch Storage 24. I've never heard of Storage 24 before, and I'm assuming you guys haven't heard of it either. Will their first contact be their last? Something nasty is lurking inside a secure storage unit. When a group of people get trapped inside, they need to find a way to get out of a building that's designed to keep things in. I think that this was a really good concept for a horror film, and I think it was a very unique setting for Horror film. Of course, it's in an underground like storage facility, um, and it gives a lot of creativity with some of the things you can do with that with people. What are they storing in these storage units? My cousin, actually, she said, this, this had to be like 10, 15 years ago at this point, but she said that her dream was to own a storage facility, mainly because people just put a bunch of shit in there, pay a monthly fee, and just forget about it, and it just stays forever and ever. Um, basically, you can make a killing owning a storage facility. Uh, but yeah, people are just storing like all this random shit in there. Of course, you have one. I believe there's a storage facility that's just full of like mannequins, of course, because why wouldn't there be? Um, but I think this film, it had a lot going for it. Of course, it's not like a cinematic classic or anything like it's not even trying to be. Um, but it does have some like some fun parts to it. It was good to watch one time, I'm probably never going to revisit it again. I love how the creature, I'm not going to spoil what it looks like or what it does or anything, but I just love the way it sort of like jumps through these storage units, like through the hallways. His like legs are like on the wall. It's like basically like he's wall bouncing, chasing people. Um but overall I mean it's a very standard run of the mill horror film. Um fun to watch one time um but other than that it's not something I'm going to be revisiting over and over again. This is probably the only time I'm going to watch it. Um so if you happen to see it on a streaming service and you're like, "You know what? What the hell?" You're not going to have the worst time with it. It's very fun. It's just a standard film. Um the next couple films I watched I'm actually going to keep a secret. Um, unless you want to creep on my letterbox, I guess, but we might be doing an episode revolving around this trilogy of films, so I'm going to be skipping those for now and moving right on to John Carpenter's Vampires, which I watched with my wife. It was her first time watching it. It was my first time watching it in a very long time. Um, I probably hadn't seen this uh, early college, maybe, Um, but regardless, um, it was my first time watching it in a very long time. It's a standard vampire. It's not John Carpenter's finest, not by a long shot. Um, I like the soundtrack to this a lot, because it's sort of like, the soundtrack is very much Metallica from the Load and Reload era, which a lot of people hate, but I actually like that era. Um, it's not as good as their early stuff, obviously. Um, but I like it's sort of like a country, like southern rock, like metal-ish music that was going on. Basically, John Carpenter pretty much thought he was like James Hetfield or something. He's writing like these rhythm, like country metal songs to go in the background. Very atmospheric. I like the music a lot. Um James Woods is an absolute giga chad in this film. Um it feels like a mix of like Evil Dead 2 from Dust Till John ja- from Dust Till Dawn. Um, and just other John Carpenter films all mashed together, Uh, but it's not as good as any of those films. It's not good as Evil Dead 2 from Dust Till Dawn, and as I said, it's not one of John Carpenter's finest, Um, but it is a fun, standard vampire film. Watch this on VHS with my wife. Um, Two and a half stars, which means it's good. I'm probably not going to revisit it, at least not any time in the immediate future. Uh, I mean, I'm not opposed to watching it like 10 years down the line or something like that. Um, the next film, however, that I watched is an undisputed classic. They live, of course, Rowdy Roddy Piper, of course, also John Carpenter. This is top tier Carpenter. Um, this is mainly, it's mainly a sci-fi, I would say, but it's also a horror film. It's also an action film and has like the longest fist fight scene ever devoted to film. Um, this is one I'm not going to read all the description on it because I feel like people are aware of They Live. It's, of course, one of the most striking images in film history is just the way that the alien creature things look in this. Everyone knows what they look like. Everyone sort of knows the plot of the film with the sunglasses. Um, You see them on the street. You watch them on TV. You might even vote for one this fall. You think they're people just like you? You're wrong. Dead wrong um, there's a lot of social commentary going on in this as well, um, it's just overall a really good, really solid sci-fi horror film, with one of the greatest guys to ever do it, John Carpenter, and Rowdy Roddy Piper is a trip in the film, um, he's great, it's very, mainly when, like, pro wrestlers are, like, doing films, it's like, alright, this could be good, could be bad, but, like, Roddy Piper, he always gives, like, a good performance, um, even when it's in, like, some shitty stuff, um, the next film that we watched was Saint Maude. Um, this is a film Miles really wanted us to watch together, um, but for some reason it didn't work out. We ended up just watching it by ourselves. Your Savior is coming. Having recently found God, self-effaced young nurse Maud arrives at a plush home to care for Amanda, um, a dancer left frail from a chronic illness. When a chance encounter with a former colleague throws up hints of a dark past, it becomes clear there is more to sweet Mod than meets the eye. And let me tell you, I don't remember shit from this film. Um, I remember it being fine, but I remember it being very slow throughout. Um, and I remember the ending scene being spectacular. I mean, there's an ending scene, like you, if you're actually invested in the story and stuff like that, when you come to the end and the ending pays off, um, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Um, but for me, just one good ending scene isn't enough to save the rest of the film, which I thought was pretty slow and pretty drawn out and not very great. I gave it two and a half because I can recognize that it is a well-made film and stuff like that, but for me personally, I thought it was pretty slow. Um, The next films that I'm watching are also for another show, so I'm going to be skipping over those. Um, and then we watched. An, I watched one of the last Godzilla films that was on my list. I think that was the very last one I had to watch, which was All Monsters Attack at the end of July. Um, and the last couple films I'll talk about, because again, we're getting into a lot of the films that I'm going to be covering in their own single episodes on the show. Um, the last film I'm going to talk about, there's two. The last ones I'm going to talk about um, for this particular episode are Trilogy of Terror and the Scooby-Doo movie from 2002. But we will start with Trilogy of Terror, of course, from 1975, directed by Dan Curtis, The Mind Behind Dark Shadows. Um, he was a producer on Col Shack the Night Stalker, um, the films. Um, and this is another TV movie. TV movies were really big at the time. A horror anthology containing three stories. A female college professor is aggressively pursued by one of her students. A prudish brunette determines that her free-spirited blonde sister is evil, and a woman's night turns upside down after she purchases an ancient doll. Um, and everyone is familiar with this doll. You've seen it on the cover, even if you haven't seen the film. If you've probably seen this doll online, I'm in various horror publications, websites, images, stuff like that. Especially around Halloween, he pops up a lot as well. Um, out of these three stories, the last one is obviously the best, the one with the doll. Um, but the first one is a lot of fun, too, mainly if you are a fan of Dan Curtis's other work. Um, Kolshak, the Night Stalker, the film, is on the television out of drive-in in this, so when I was watching that, I popped. I thought it was hilarious. There's also references to Dracula in it, because at one point, they have to go get a hotel room, and they give fake names, and they do Mr. and Mrs. Jonathan Harker. Um, the middle segment's a little weak, um, and then the end segment, of course, is a lot of fun. It's very, very silly, goofy, over the top. Not meant to be taken seriously. I le- at least I hope it wasn't meant to be taken seriously. And then we are moving on to Scooby-Doo from 2002. Get a clue. The Mystery Inc. gang have gone their separate ways and have been apart for two years until they receive an invitation to Spooky Island. Not knowing that the others have also been invited, they show up and discover an amusement park that affects young visitors in very strange ways. This film is such a product of its time. Um, Sugar Ray is in the film. Simple Plan is doing the music um, for the Scooby-Doo theme song, and I think there's a couple other songs by Simple Plan in it as well. Very, very bad campy film that I love. This one's an automatic 4 stars on Letterboxd, but it's definitely so bad that it's good. I rem- I was telling my wife that I even remember watching this as a kid. We didn't see it in theaters for some reason, but we rented it from Blockbuster and we were in my living room with my me, my brother and my sister watching this movie, and even at the time we were like this shit sucks. Um, but it's funny. I mean, the film is just so iconic. Um, there's so many lines in it that I think are hilarious. Mr. Bean is in the film, of course. Um, I like the opening scene, how it like shows them on another case, and then moving on to the main story. It's um, similar to like, Indiana Jones, or something you would see in like a mystery, like they're wrapping up something else to show that they're very busy all the time, and that this isn't just like an isolated incident. It shows that they're like on the job and stuff like that. Um, I like when stuff happens like that. It also opens your film with action already, like in Indiana Jones, like when he's already like doing stuff at the beginning of the film, it like hooks you like right away. And this film does the same thing. It sounds ridiculous to compare it to anything good, any like good films out there. Um, but it has like a similar concept, Um, of course the effects are bad. There's a lot of horror references in it. There's a lot of like drug references in it, obviously, um, because it's Scooby-Doo. There's the scene with the main girls, like the love interest of Shaggy. Her name is Mary Jane. And you're like, dude, that's like my favorite name. I can't do a good Shaggy voice at this particular moment in time. Um, but just use your imagination and think that that was a good Shaggy voice. Um, I don't really have too much to say, but this is a film I could do a whole commentary on. Um, I've, I see I see it once every like five or six years is um, a good time to watch Scooby-Doo. I've never seen Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, um, but I've heard that that one is pretty bad. I heard that one's pretty bad. That might be one I have to do like a double feature on and cover them more in depth at some point in the future. But yeah, that is going to round out um, the ones I'm gonna be covering in this episode. I will see you guys in another episode of the show coming real soon. Let me know what one what was my poll for this one? Was it Hellraiser? What's your favorite Hellraiser or was that in the previous one? Um, just let me know you listen to the end. I'll, I'll come up with a new poll. Have you seen Hellraiser Hellworld? And would you play that MMORPG that they're playing on the on the computer? If you listen to this this long, let me know about the Hellworld computer game from Hellraiser. Because um, I want to know about it. I've never seen the film, but Miles talks about it all the time. Um, so if you've seen it, let me know down in the comments below. If you haven't seen it, also let me know in the comments below. And that's going to wrap it up for this time, guys. Again, make sure you're subscribing to the show wherever you listen to the show. Leave me a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts. Um, Spotify needs to have some sort of rating system. Um, so you guys can go on in there and rate it at some point in the future. Um, if you're on YouTube, thumbs up. Obviously, share the show on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you guys want to share the show. It would be greatly, greatly appreciated. And let me know what you guys want to see in future episodes. Leave me a voicemail um, and let me know some stuff you guys want to see on the show. And with that, I will see you guys in another episode of the House of Horror coming very, very soon. But until then, take care and stay spooky.